Uh, it's, uh, it's an honor for me to, to be here uh, again. I, I used to come as a little kid and, um, you know, uh, uh, as a teenager, as an adult, and so I'm very familiar uh, with this church, and I'm always uh, such, so blessed to be here. Uh, for those of you uh, who may not know us uh, very well, this, I would say this church has actually been the backbone of, of our mission work uh, for a very long time. I just wanted to ask, can anyone guess since when? I have a prize that I brought from Korea for, for you. If you can guess since what year uh, you have supported us. Any guesses? No, no, that's too, too long. That's too long. No, yeah. Uh, Any more? That is, that is all wrong. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and just keep my gift for myself. Um, actually, since 1957... Uh, you have uh, supported us. So really almost from the very beginning for us, and Donna gave this wonderful introduction for us. It was actually my father, uh, Yun Guan Che, who started uh, in the 1950s, and uh, he was planting churches in Korea, training missionaries, and uh, taking care of orphans in Korea. And actually, he, he was mentored by a man named John Chase, uh, who was the head pastor here then, and in fact, is who I was named after. I was named after uh, John Chase, and so uh, it's, uh, it's an honor for me. Uh, so really, for over 60 years, you have walked alongside us, you know, whether you know it or not. Uh, and believe me when I say to you that you mean so much to us, uh, to our country, to our missionaries, and especially to uh, every child that grew up in our orphanage over the last 60 years in Korea. So this has been my parents' lifelong work. And like Donna said, my family just recently really moved to Korea in 2018. And we uh, started to uh, get involved or, you know, to put it more accurately, we started to get in the way. And, um, you know, it has been quite an adventure so far, just stepping into my father's shoes, my parents' shoes, uh, learning to love and take care of our orphanage children, learning to work together with other missionaries, learning how to survive without in and out. You know, it's, it's been hard. And um, obviously the last one and a half years has been a nightmare. And, um, you know, I don't know if you have heard of this little bug going around these days. It's called COVID-19. And um, isn't it an incredible time in history uh, we are... Uh, experiencing now, right? I, I, I think about that. Isn't it crazy how much the world has changed because of this virus? For us in Korea, we are now seeing uh, the highest number of cases throughout this whole period, throughout the pandemic, and we're under the most restrictive set of regulations, uh, which forbids any group gatherings of more than two people uh, after 6 p.m. You can't go to a restaurant with uh, more than uh, one other person after 6 p.m. Um, our orphanage kids are not allowed to mingle with kids from other rooms. Um, and so uh, it's a very uh, strict set of regulations we're under. So obviously we're still in the thick of it over in Korea. So I can't help but count my blessings to be uh, able to worship with you today. You know, God has been very good to us. And um, we give thanks that he has kept us safe and healthy, obviously. Uh, we give thanks that he has sustained our missionaries, many of whom, and maybe some of your other missionaries too, have considered uh, giving up during this trying time. 
You know, many of whom who find themselves still to this day displaced from their mission fields, unable to go back, and, and, and they're locked out. And um, I, have, uh, I partner with one of our missionaries to China, actually believes that he will never be allowed back. Right? That's what he believes, is China was already expelling hundreds of missionaries even before COVID. And so this man used to run a, a tutoring center in the city of Tianjin, and he would teach sports and music. And when the op- opportunity allows, the gospel to Chinese college students. And um, he worries that uh, he, he'll never see them in person again. And yet, despite his worries, he says his ministry is actually thriving. Um, on Zoom, uh, in China, they use a program called Weibo and different video chat platforms. And he says he has more students actually now logging in with him online than he had in China. And they're more willing to meet with them because uh, there's less risk of meeting, meeting online, less chance of, uh, you know, getting caught. So the irony is, even though this missionary hasn't stepped on the mission field in a long time, he's had one of his students move to Cambodia recently as a, as a missionary under his mentorship and training. And he says he has another student planning to enter North Korea, which will be a big boon for us because Chinese people in North Korea are, are more accepted and trusted and welcomed than South Koreans. So actually, you know, this is a, a big deal for us and him and I, and, and all of us are excited about the work expanding. Now, isn't it funny how when one door closes, as long as, you, as long as you keep your head up and your eyes open and your heart's expectant, trusting in the Lord with all your heart, you will manage to see God open another door for you. It's just, it's an interesting thing to observe. And um, this has really been that kind of couple years in our work. And for all of us here, I imagine as we adjust uh, to this new uh, normal, I wanted to share with you a passage this morning. It's from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 20 to 24. And I'd like to read it to you if that's okay. It's, uh, it should be a familiar story of Jesus healing a little boy. A boy who was possessed by an evil spirit, the Bible says. And he was suffering from severe seizures. And um, this story just, it really spoke to me this year because uh, my dad has actually had some uh, seizure issues recently. And, um, and, and I know how helpless one can feel having someone you love go through that, right? Especially if you don't know what's causing it. And it is this boy's father who you can imagine after many years of of taking care of his boy, probably worn out from seeking a cure for so long, uh, to no avail, almost about to give up. And he finally hears about this rabbi named Jesus who was going around miraculously healing people. And so almost as a last resort, he brings his boy to where Jesus is. And Jesus is not there yet. Uh, Jesus was a little busy. Uh, I'm sure you know the story. He was on a mountain. He was getting transfigured on a nearby mountain. Another story for another day. But eventually, uh, Jesus comes down, and he finds that his disciples are, are circled up around this boy. 
desperately trying to drive out this evil spirit from this boy, but failing. Oh, this demon is a, is a stubborn one, they think. You know, they get more frustrated. They get confused. Note that Jesus is not even there yet, and they already begin to question whether anyone could ever heal this boy, whether this boy could be healed. We do that too, don't we? When things don't go our way, uh, when we run into obstacles we can't overcome ourselves, we jump to that conclusion, don't we? Uh, Sometimes we assume, since we can't do it, that it is impossible. We begin to attribute our limitations to, to God, and we begin to attribute our ineptness to his ineptness. So what happens in the story at this point? Uh, take a wild guess. Let me, let me read from verse 20 on. It says, uh, so they brought him, the boy, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can't do anything, take pity on us and help us. I hope you feel the the father's pain in this desperate request for pity. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me. Overcome my unbelief. And I want to stop there. Because that last line, what he says, it really moves me. I just can't help but feel like what the boy's father says right here is so profound in a way. Or at least for me, is one one of the most authentic things someone has ever said or someone can ever say to Jesus. I do believe, but... Help me overcome my unbelief. It almost doesn't make sense, right? Does he believe or not? Well, he's, he's wrestling with his doubts, like we often do, right? It's like, the, it's like the climax of an action movie, and the hero is trying to save someone, you know, hanging over the you know, edge of a building or a cliff. They're hanging on. And the guy's like, grab my hand. Do you trust me? And the person who's about to be saved may nod yes. But they certainly don't look any less scared hanging off that cliff, right? Because it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Even when we trust God, it's a struggle to completely rid ourselves of doubts and worries. And the father in the Bible story, you can sense The struggle in his words too. I do believe because you are my last hope. Right? This whole time, I have done everything humanly possible to heal my boy. I am so worn out. I am just completely jaded by what the rest of this world had to offer. So I have to believe. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't exactly understand by what power you will do it. But you say, Everything is possible for him who believes. Fine. I don't have to understand. Help me believe. Help me overcome my doubts. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
Because all I have left is you. This is it. All I had left, all my boy has left, is you. You won't believe how much this statement, how raw it is, how vulnerable it is, encourages me as I go about my life and as, as I navigate my way through this uh, ministry, this, this responsibility that has been placed upon me and all my Father before me uh, to live our lives worthy of the calling we have received. You know, I hope, I really hope it resonates with you too. I hope this cry of the Father makes you wonder about your own prayers. Whether when we cry out to God, do we cry out with the same desperation? I hope the language of this prayer inspires you. I do believe, God, but whatever doubts I have remaining, I boldly ask that you take them away. Is this your heart when you speak to him? And if it's not, why is this desperation missing? As this father puts it, why is unbelief? Because that is what it is, isn't it? Unbelief, right? When you don't believe, when you don't really believe God can or will affect or change or better this area of your life that you are struggling with, that's unbelief. Why is this unbelief taking over your heart? You see, after having ministered to children and youth for the entirety of my life, and having listened to the prayers of our orphanage kids for the last three years, I am convinced that when Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, a big part of what he is talking about is this sense of expectation and desperation in our prayers. Having that type of confidence that if we want, what we ask is good for us, he will give it to us. And the trust then, on the opposite end, that when, that when what we ask for, we do not receive, it is because it is not good for us, or it is not the right timing. God makes that decision for us at the right time, but for us at all times, we must not lose the sincerity and passion and desperation in our own hearts. But it happens though, you know, I, I get it, life tends to do that to you. It chips away at your sense of hope and expectation. We go through things that make us feel disillusioned. It happens. In so many areas, we find God seemingly irre irrelevant or irresponsive. I know, Donna gave me uh, a wonderful introduction, but, you know, uh, she made me sound much more cooler than I actually am. Uh, I make so many mistakes I, I truly, I truly believe I get in the way more than, more than I help out with the work. A um, couple years ago, I remember receiving a, a little second grade boy at our orphanage, one of our newer kids, and uh, he, was, he was struggling with him. This was a different story. Uh, just a few months ago, he was actually had a normal life. He lived happily at home with his dad and grandma. His, his mom had you know, run off long before, but otherwise he had this, he had a perfectly normal life. But in a span of a couple months, uh, this boy lost everything, everyone that mattered to him. And uh, it happens, right? He lost his dad to a, in a workplace accident. His grandma was diagnosed with uh, late stage terminal cancer. And so he was brought to us all of a sudden. And I remember 
because this was the first kid that came when, since I went to Korea. And I remember the, the first few weeks with us, how numbed he was to everything. And that's really the word that I would use. His face was often blank. He rarely said a word. He rarely spoke. And, um, and I remember his demeanor well because the day he came to us, he happened to come on a Wednesday morning, which means that one of the first things that he attended at our orphanage was Wednesday night children's service, which we have every Wednesday from 7 to 8. And, um, and I remember that particular worship vividly because I am ashamed by it. Because I remember how hard it was for me to preach that day. You can always preach, but to put authentic passion into my words, to really mean it. I had written my sermon already on 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. But I felt like my points would ring hollow to this boy after the trauma he just experienced. And I felt so bad about it that even as I was preaching, I considered cutting the sermon short. I really wanted to get out of there. It's not my proudest moment of faith. I felt so bad about it. Uh, uh, I feel so bad about it uh, to this day. But for the sake of illustration, I share it with you. What was happening in my heart in that moment? I was letting the unbelief take over, you see. That God cannot change this. The doubts were taking over my heart and mind. And, and the, world had, the world had conditioned me to believe that these things could not be changed. Another mistake I made. A couple months ago, I let my unbelief take over again. Uh, one day, <laughs> our, uh, our in-house counselor uh, asked to have a word with me uh, that I, you know, she's, I hired her, right? I interviewed her, and she took me into the back room, and she proceeded to tell me that I had made a horrible mistake with one of the children. That's what she said in Korean. Uh, Believe me, you know, as a director, the last thing you want to hear from a staff member is, you made a horrible mistake. I said, what did I do now? And she made me recall an incident that occurred three years ago. My first day in Korea, when I first brought my family to the orphanage, uh, one of the boys had really took to my eldest son. And um, they were having so much fun together that I jokingly told the boy that my son was his long-lost brother. Uh, I don't know. I, I hear the gasps. Now I'm really worried. Uh, it was, I don't know, it was a joke. I don't know. It was just a comment on how well they were getting along. I meant it like, like brothers in Christ, you know? Whatever, you know. It turns out it was not a good joke. Little did I know that this remark would be etched into this boy's mind to this day, right? Little did I know that affection would not be all this boy would feel towards my son and that he would start to develop a sense of envy as well. And uh, little did I know that a seed of doubt and pessimism would be planted in his heart and that now, this year, three years later, he would begin to wonder why his brother got to live with me in my home while he was left with the other children of the orphanage. And he would share that with the counselor. And I, I should have known better, but I don't know. You know, I, I do that a lot. You know, my, a thought occurs. My mouth, my, my mouth just goes with it. I can't take it back. It's already out. Mistake was made. 
So, you know, not too long ago, a couple of weeks, you know, before I came here, I, I ended up having to talk to him, you know, and uh, to tell him that him and my son are not actually long-lost brothers, that we are not his biological family. And, um, you know, he took it okay, but it was a painful conversation for me. I made this mistake on my very first day in Korea. Here I am to change the world and lead everyone to Jesus, and that's what I did. Off the car from the airport, and I didn't even have a clue until the, until the counselor brought it up this year. And um, so what do you think about that, church? This is who you sent off as a missionary to Korea, as a caretaker of orphans. Do you not regret your decision now? You should. <laughs> You know, at times like this, at times like this and other times too, whenever we experience failure, whenever we get too comfortable with the patterns of this world, we are prone to tempering our hopes and expectations of how much God loves us and what Jesus can do for us if it aligns with his will. We must be careful to not pray like the first part of this Father's prayer, dear Jesus, well, if you can't help us, if you can't, if you can't help us, please do. If you can't, I get it. We cannot ever question whether or not there is anything that God can't do. In fact, after the crucifixion and resurrection event, we cannot question anymore whether or not he wants to help us. Right? He was willing to give up his son for us because he loves us so much. Of course he wants to give us help. Remember, I think we have the verse on the screen, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, one of my favorite verses. And Jesus asks rhetorically, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love that verse. To me, this verse is always so encouraging to be reminded that God gets no joy. It doesn't give him happiness to withhold good gifts from us. I feel like this is how my orphanage staff feels during Christmas season. We're so grateful. We get so many gifts sent from people like you for the children. And, um, and a lot of these gifts come in early, right? Before, Because we're in Korea, so they send it early so that we can get it ready and give it to them on Christmas Day. So by early December, we have a storage area that slowly starts piling full of gifts. And, you know, the staff is busy running around, organizing them. The kids are, like, hanging around the office for no reason, trying to get a glimpse because they know what it is. And by the time the week of Christmas comes around, I start feeling antsy too. You know, the gifts, they're just sitting there. And nothing would give me and the staff more joy than to start handing them out early. And I imagine this time's a billion is how God feels towards us. He can't wait. He can't wait to give, give good gifts to us. And when you accept that in your heart, when you truly believe that, right, when you know that that, that, that is happening, that he has gifts um, uh, ready for us, do you know what that realization does to you? Well, I can tell you what our orphanage kids are like weeks before Christmas. 
very, very good and bright and confident, which for some of them is the opposite of how they are the rest of the year, and at peace because they know, they know that there are people out there that love them. The gifts are just evidence, just reminders of it. You see, when you live in hope, when you live in expectation like this, when you have this confidence that God has good gifts he is waiting to give you, when you know for sure that they are just waiting to be handed out, you know what that does? It cleans and it clarifies your perspective on your life, your attitude, your approach to it. You see, doubts dirty us up, right? Doubts debilitate us. Unbelief is like a tourniquet cutting us off from the blood of Jesus and its power. Unbelief creeps into and clogs our arteries. We will be like branches cut off from the vine. We will not bear fruit. We can do nothing apart from him. So we must learn to fight it off. How? Quite simply, we must learn to shout along with this boy's father, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. He can help you with that too. This phrase, it's become a staple in my prayers. Every time a kid gets into trouble or takes a step back in his development or rehabilitation, I pray, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Every time I am overwhelmed by my work, it happens. You know, when, when I was young, I used, to, I used to read a lot of books on missionaries because my dad was a missionary and they were like superheroes to me. Legends like David Livingston navigating the jungles of Africa. And I wanted to, to be like him. And I just don't remember any scenes in those books where David Livingston is, you know, staring into an Excel sheet on his computer screen the whole day, trying to figure out why his balance sheet is not balancing. So learning those parts of the job that I'm unprepared for, that I'm not good at. Right? Learning to work with the Korean government, that's a whole other thing. Learning to work not in the church, which I did for my whole adult life, but with the churches, that's a weird thing too. Many times, I don't feel like I can handle all that. And then when I do, I kneel in prayer and I pray, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Whenever I can't sense the Spirit moving, whenever I feel like the children's hearts are closed off from the Word, Whenever I speak to incredibly discouraged missionaries, which are many in the world we live in today. Whenever I feel incompetent, whenever I feel inadequate as a child of God, whenever I am in fear of the future, I pray, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And when I really mean it, like really mean it from the bottom of my heart, I think Jesus really likes that that I'm being honest with him, and that I am clinging on to him in this way. After all, who doesn't love it when their children do that? You know, my father, he's 91, 90, I think. This, uh, despite his age and his health, he still manages to find uh, time, to spend time in the orphanage baby room every day precisely because of this reason, precisely because the babies desperately cling on to him. He loves that. And it reminds him and it motivates him on why he does what he does. This is what God wants from us. 
He wants us to cling to him. He wants us to be desperate. He wants us to pray desperately. Do you cry out, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief? Because going back to our passage, we can see how God responds to prayers such as this. To faith as strong as this. Uh, I'm going to read verses 25 to 29. It says, Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we draw it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I love that last part. This kind can come out only by prayer. What are some of the demons that you are wrestling with in your life? Are you sure that maybe these demons are not the same kind? The kind that can only come out by prayer? And if so, are you really wrestling with it desperately enough in prayer and in faith? Let us cry out to the Lord together at all times. Help us even in our unbelief, and as a fellow child of God, as a fellow co-worker with you in Christ, I can guarantee that that will make a tangible difference in your life as it did to mine. Um, this, you know, the boy I told you about at the beginning who seemed so numb and expressionless coming to our home after suffering some, some tragedies. Uh, remember how tough it was for me to even preach in front of him because I felt his pain, his loss of hope. Well, the truth is, not long after that, this boy completely did change. The gloom on his face was replaced with a perpetual smile. In the beginning, I never expected him to take to our home, to our kids, and most importantly, to the gospel and to the notion of the power of prayer so well and so quickly. He prays all the time now. His dorm parents tell me his current topic. We don't even know what he prays about. Uh, apparently, he has an aunt who lives in the U.S. who might consider taking him in. And he's asking God whether it would be better for him to live with her or to continue living here, uh, you know, in Korea with us, in, all, in our family. He's, he's debating about those two options. This is how thoroughly... He is enjoying his new life. So much so that he might rather stay here than move in with them. So much so that the other kids find it peculiar. And they remark about how in their view he always sees things backwards. His nickname is the backwards boy. And the others hate sharing rooms with so many, so many other kids. This kid loves it. right? The others hate patiently waiting in line after cafeteria. But this boy enjoys it. He says it makes mealtime less lonely. The others dread worship because they find it boring and redundant. And the preacher's not too good. But he finds it interesting and new. He has never been to one before in his life. In fact, I had no need to be worried on that very first day of worship with him. How dare I be ashamed of the gospel? How dare I underestimate the gospel. Turns out he finds the gospel compelling, which is rare in kids these days. And his dorm parents tell me how aware of God he is in his daily life. That's how they uh, explain it. They're moved by how honest his prayers are. And the other kids think of him as, as the backwards boy. 
But I think this kid is onto something really important to those of us who live by faith. From the perspective of society, when the world sees us, we are meant to see things backwards, aren't we? Why do you think the Beatitudes sound so wild to regular people, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the, are the meek. It seems backwards. It seems backwards. But actually, this is the correct way to perceive things as a follower of Jesus. Backwards. Where others see failure, we see potential. Right? Where others see shame, we see the possibility of redemption. Where others see judgment, we see grace. And when others see no immediate fruit, we see eternal fruit. This is the power given to us by Jesus when we pray in faith. And this is why we do uh, what we do. Right? This is why we feel every child deserves to be loved and cared for. And this is why we feel every person deserves to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and determine for themselves. They might not accept it. It's okay. Give them the opportunity to determine for themselves what the truth is. This is why we do what we do. And I know that this is why you do uh, what you do too. Um, I know that this is what this church is all about, what it has been all about for many, many years through the many amazing leaders and members that God has placed here. And so I just want to conclude by saying uh, thank you so much for loving us and uh, desperately praying for us and for our work for our children. We want you to know that we pray for you too. Um, we pray for this church. And if you find yourself ever struggling with rising unbelief in your heart, know that you are not alone. And be encouraged by Paul's words in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. Um, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Believe me when I, when I tell you, as far as our work in Korea is concerned, you are and will continue uh, to reap a harvest there. So I just ask that God bless all of you. Uh, God bless this church. And uh, let us look forward to a bright God-given future together. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. We give you all honor and all power and all glory. Lord, you... Uh, the fact that you love us, that we are your children, it amazes us to this day, especially those of us who raise children. We think about what that means and how deeper your love for us must be than our love for them. It, uh, it really blows our minds, Lord. And um, we see this wonderful story, um, just this wonderful moment when this, boy is, or this boy's father, as he is calling out to you, cries out, um, not only... <laughs> That he believes, but he cries out that 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 uh, cries out for help for you to even help him in his unbelief. That whatever doubts that he may have, whatever concerns and stresses, that that you may take them away. That we may just put our full trust in you, Lord, and and um, and you have certainly helped him in this story. But we know that in our lives too, um, Lord, that, that that when we cry out to you in this way that you will answer us too. And so, you know, we just find that so precious. We find that to be such a uh, wonderful thing and just a testament to how wonderful your grace and love for us is. So, Lord, just 
let this be embedded into our hearts as we live out our lives this week. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.